Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to The Best Damn Camp, a Royalden verse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Now before I dive in, I do want to let you guys know that episodes may not be as regular during November. Um, for anyone who's not getting involved and may not know about this, uh, November is NaNoWriMo month where writers across the globe get involved with writing 50,000 words in a single month. Now I'm using NaNoWriMo to help finish the first draft of my novel as well as hopefully start the first draft of another novel that I'm also hoping to work on as well. Um, so because of that, because it is a lot of work and it is a lot of time to dedicate towards it, uh, the possibility of having episodes out regularly may not be possible just because I want to be able to dedicate the time to writing and getting this draft done and really focus on my writing career as well. So I really do hope that you guys can understand where I'm coming from with this and (laughs) there are no hard feelings if there are times when the episodes aren't out as regularly. Um, I am hoping to record multiple episodes in a single day so hopefully it won't happen but I thought I would put a warning out just in case. But of course we are diving in this week to the next chapters in the Battle of the Labyrinth. So we're continuing our timeline journey with chapter 3 we play tag with scorpions and chapter 4 Annabeth breaks the rules. Now as always I've got my points to focus on so today we've got ironically from my discussion to do with NaNoWriMo writing points, story, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the very, very short, in comparison to usual, synopsis. We learn a lot about labyrinths. Like, a lot, a lot. Danger is at every corner, and especially in caves. No one can be trusted, and everyone's scared. You gotta love a Wednesday. And that's the synopsis for chapters three and four. Considering there is a lot that happens, the synopsis was kind of hard to write because it is very much just about labyrinths. And don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry, we will get into it because we are starting, of course, with chapter three. We play tag with scorpions. Now the overview for chapter three is as follows. This camp is great for spreading news of doom. Good old gossips, what would we do without you? The labyrinth is announced and Annabeth breaks some rules. And no, it's not the rules that she'll be breaking in chapter 4. You'll see what I mean. Clarice deserves way more credit and yes, this is the hill that I will die on. Annabeth knows that the labyrinth marks many things. Danger, answers and intellectual exploits. 
Quintus is not good at giving rules. Do, do you have to collect all the laurels? Is it just, do you just need to collect half of them? Some of them, like, you don't specify, man. Give us clear-cut rules, please. Percy and Annabeth are a perfect team, but damn, they do not have any luck. But they are demigods, so I don't know why I'm surprised. We uncover Luke's plan, and it doesn't look good for camp. The labyrinth is underneath them, a perfect entryway for an invasion. And that is the overview for chapter three. And seriously, there's a lot that's happened, and I'm going to get into the thing about that. <laughs> so, just going in with the writing straight away, let us dive in first to the writing points that I particularly want to bring up. And that is the frustrating part about this chapter in that we are bringing up new information and having the answer given to us in the exact same chapter. We learn about the labyrinth, the thing that was a secret literally just in the previous chapter. And then we wonder how Luke is going to use this labyrinth that is being talked about. And in the exact same chapter, we learn the answer in that there is an entrance to the camp via the labyrinth. So we're getting the question and answer at the exact same time. It's just... It's frustrating because if we'd been told about the labyrinth earlier... So like what I mentioned in the previous episode about how chapter 2 was so long it should have been split into two... Chapter 2 being split into two separate chapters and putting the labyrinth info in there, it would leave at least a chapter or two's separation between this information so it wouldn't feel so rushed. Like, we're getting our question and answers straight away. And while that's useful, but it, and there's, I know something I do complain about that, we're, we're not giving answers straight away, but this is something that is a really big point to this story and we're learning it straight away there is there is no mystery there's no trying to figure out the answer we're just given the answer and i don't know it's just okay i'm not one to say drag it out but seriously putting all that info in a single chapter is just too info dumpy for its own good if anything, a chapter or two separation from the info and the realisation would have been great. And you can literally just put it in the previous chapter. Instead of keeping the labyrinth a secret in the previous chapter, firstly, separate chapter two into two chapters and give the labyrinth information in the second part of that chapter where Annabeth and Tyson and such are with Percy and have her talk about it there. So then when the information happens here... And Annabeth and Percy and Grover are all talking about it at his table, which was where Annabeth broke the rules because she went to sit on his table. Um, and it was scandalous. But have the discussion about what they're going to do about the labyrinth there. We don't have to have the f- full information here. We, we don't have to learn everything about the labyrinth in the previous chapter, but just tell us about it. Don't introduce what a labyrinth is and then tell us, exactly how our enemy is going to use it straight away there's just it just it just seems so insignificant like it doesn't seem as much of a big deal having that slightly not dragged out because it'll be like a single chapter but having that separated out into two different chapters 
gives us that sense of edge behind it, like the importance and significance of this moment, that the labyrinths are so important, they're being talked about regularly. Oh no, our enemy is going to use it against us. Have that separation a little bit. So we have time to adjust to this information about the labyrinth, wonder what Luke is going to be using it for, and then in the following chapter, we'll have a little bit more discussion about the experience of what has been going on with the labyrinth and like Clarice's fear about the labyrinth and kind of wondering, oh, where is that all coming from? Like, how dangerous are all these sort of things? And then finding out the extra danger level in that there is an entrance into camp from the labyrinth that their enemy is going to use. I know I'm kind of sounding like a bit like a broken record now, but I just like it's an easy way to do it and the main thing is as well just going back to what i was talking about in the previous episode just stop cutting off giving information to people to then give us the information you cut off in the following chapter like what's the point of that what's the point of not giving us the info in a in literally the previous chapter to then give us the information in the exact following chapter it just rushes the storyline needlessly and gives away too much too soon. I think this is a problem that I'm going to find with Battle of the Labyrinth. And this is going into the story a little bit as well to move on to the next points. We're diving into our narrative really quickly, which admittedly is a mixture of good and bad. The good being that not only are we getting into the story sooner and having it move ahead without the chance of us readers getting bored with it being dragged out, and the other good part being that it helps us get into the main points of this story, the adventure and uh, the adventure element of the labyrinth itself. The main negative I have with it is just that it's just speeding along in general too quickly. And considering there's a lot of okay, this is I'm not going to give any spoilers for this, but considering a lot of things that do happen in the later chapters, and obviously I'll get to them when when I get to them. All the scenes that, that they're quite they're quite a lot, unfortunately, scenes in the later parts of this book and even in the earlier parts of this book that can easily have been cut out to to kind of help the speed of the story not feel like we're rushing into it. I think this is a slightly the unfortunate thing that I find with some of Rick's books is that, and it gets better later on, admittedly, um, is that things just do move along incredibly quickly in some areas. And it's frustrating because you kind of can't savour and dive into the information you're being given before something else is happening. It's like the whole issue that I have with the, the amount of monster fights that we get that are so unnecessary that it kind of takes you out because they're just it's just one after another, one after another. That's kind of what I'm feeling at the moment with this narrative and this storyline is that it's moving so quickly. It's like having a monster fight after a monster fight it just there's just so much happening that you kind of can't digest all of it which I half get the reasoning behind it in that intentional or not it gives this idea of like a demigod's life is never like never stops and never slows down because you're constantly in danger but from a reading perspective it's just it's really difficult to keep it grasped in your mind all the things that are going on because there's constantly new information coming in the, just the current speed of the action is just feeling really fast-paced and it's not just no no it's not allowing us the time to digest the info that we're learning before we move on to something else and considering we've just learned that the that the camp can easily be invaded by Luke's army 
Um, we're then filled with new information in the following chapter that we also have to keep a hold of. And this is, of course, chapter four, Annabeth Breaks the Rules. She's breaking a lot of rules recently and, um, you know, I'm proud of her. <laughs> so here is the overview for chapter four. Chiron is, oh, sorry, Chiron is useless as per usual. Gotta love insight, dream, wait, no, hold on. <laughs> Gotta love, I, I know I was saying it right. Gotta love insight, giving dream sequences. It's, it's so useful, isn't it? A war meeting filled of children. Of course. Annabeth is set to lead the quest into the labyrinth, a place even Clarice is afraid of. Stella, Chris's madness is terrifying. But dang, Percy, not every interaction and care of a person has to be seen as romantic. I mean, come on. Annabeth, Annabeth, Annabeth breaks the rule of three and holds back from sharing the prophecy. Our trio is now a quattro. I don't know if that's the right number, but I'm saying it now. But Quintus is antsy about Percy being on this quest. Can he be trusted though? Annabeth and Percy share a moment as she is afraid of what her prophecy is telling her. And as the rhyming sequence shows, it's likely that death is coming. And yeah, it got deep, it got dark, and it moved ahead so quickly. But first, let's just dive into story. I know I wasn't going to talk about characters, but actually briefly before we want to do that, I want to just cover this. Now, I am not opposed to this Clarice and Chris's relationship aspect. Is that Because that seems to possibly be where it's going. But I am just in general not a fan of every interaction between two people of the opposite gender automatically having a romantic inclination because that's lazy it's why can't two people who are of opposite genders one of whom is healing another person by taking care of them whilst they are incredibly sick and experiencing madness which is devastating to experience but the way that she talks to him is automatically because it's automatically seen as romantic i don't like that firstly because that that can be a very toxic element and this is just going off of the fact that recently i've been seeing reactions and stuff to do with the whole after books and the new the after we collide or whatever the hell it was um where she's so good for his mental health that only she can keep him and save him from himself because he doesn't have his nightmares when she's near him and I'm like oh my god another human being cannot be responsible for healing another person in this case it is in terms of a romantic relationship that's not a healthy relationship you cannot be responsible and be the only reason this person is going to get better and have a romantic relationship bloom from it because it's not it's not a healthy balance and it puts a lot of pressure on another person so I just I don't like that the instant that we see Clarice is looking after Chris there is a romantic element put behind it I would much rather it be that they were just friends and she was being a good friend 
and looking after him because she is a good person. Putting behind this romantic inclination of like her possibly liking him makes her actions don't seem as genuine because it makes it come across that she'd only be this kind to someone if she had a crush on them. I don't think that was the intention, but I don't, I'm not, I don't like it. If it was developed later, sure, fine, I don't care. But right now, when he is, when Chris is in the midst of madness from the labyrinth and she is looking after him, do not introduce a romance between them. It is unhealthy. Rant over, we'll move into the main points that I was going to be talking about for this chapter. So we're going to dive into story, which is honestly i i really do like this chapter except for the starting point but we will get to that this is a great section for drip feeding information and character insights which we definitely needed better we get a look at the effect of the labyrinth and how it can affect a person's psyche and the damage it can do to the point that chris is mad uh, chris is madness ridden basically and clarice is terrified of the place we don't really get any further insight as to what happened to chris we just know that there was something that he saw something that he witnessed he doesn't even know what's going on around him he doesn't understand anything he doesn't even realize that clarice is clarice he keeps calling her mary not that we learn who mary is Clarice seeing what's happened to Chris as well as the fact that she went into the labyrinth to explore it she is terrified of the place but we don't learn much else about what she experienced so we're being drip fed this information of fear and seeing just small little glimpses of it but not really learning much else about it which is good good world building good character building and builds up this tension as to what the labyrinth actually is and what it can do we get a hint of untrustworthiness towards Quintus as well, though he appears to be a good man with good intentions. There's a remembrance of of the fact that kind people and nice people can betray you, like Luke did. And that keeps us and Percy on our toes around him, not really sure whether or not we can trust him. Then we have the simplistic and yet clear slash good aspect of withholding information without withholding it there is a line that has terrified annabeth and rattled her to the point that she seeks physical comfort from percy something she's never done before and it works she's able to calm down slightly even though she's clear, clearly still kind of rattled by what she has heard but we get insight to what the prophecy was and we hear bits and pieces about it to do with finding the lost one which may be pan and uh she is the person who's meant to lead the quest and then there's something that she is holding back but we get a hint of what it may be which is where the whole withholding but not withholding comes from in that whatever the final line is it's something that rhymes with death to do with a hero that dies and we're given this impression that there is that it's likely that someone from the quest where four people when it's only meant to be three three is like the special number in greek mythology someone from that quest isn't making it back alive and so it's, it's a great aspect of drip feeding information and just kind of telling us but not telling us if if anything it's the whole we're being shown this in her actions in her inability to all these sort of things it's it's just a fantastic moment of showing not telling which hasn't happened so far this is the first time it's happened in the book 
in my opinion. And I really like it, it really works. But for the writing points though, and this is this is the only weakness I find in this chapter. And admittedly a weakness I, I find quite a lot in the books as a whole. The only thing that I'd cut is the random dayless story dream that Percy has because it doesn't add anything. And honestly, without any spoilers, it spoils, like I'm not gonna spoil anything now, but these dream sequences are gonna spoil a reveal for many things that happen later on. Now the dream sequences themselves are a spoiler. And it's frustrating because like I don't mind the dream sequences when they hold some bearing or insight to the enemy. Though admittedly I'm also I'm not a fan of them in general because it does just feel a bit cheap by having us learn about our enemy's intentions and what they're doing with also not having any real explanation as to why we have these dream sequences other than the fact that demigods apparently can have prophetic dreams but there's no explanation behind it there's no justification behind it unlike the king chronicles that actually has a logical reason for magicians to be able to you know leave their bodies in their sleep and experience the world around them and learn insights because it's part of Egyptian mythology the whole duat thing um by the way if you haven't read King Chronicles go do it like do it um it just the dream sequences it just feels like an excuse to give us information that we wouldn't normally get the only one that I can completely justify is when it is Kronos speaking to Percy in his dreams because Kronos is a trickster god, uh, titan, sorry. He's he's a trickster titan and he's a titan of time as well. It makes sense that he would do so to firstly actually bait Percy into going into the wrong situations and failing in most cases. Like every situation where Kronos has given him information or an insight, it's led to his doom in some, f- to Percy's doom in some form or the doom of a quest. But other than that, other than the ones to do with Kronos himself, it just, it doesn't make any sense for them to happen. Because the, the dreams give insight with Kronos to what's going on. But other than the ones with Kronos, all other ones just feels like a, a cheap way to kind of get Percy out of trouble and figure out what's going on. Like, this is why... Percy comes across as kind of dumb is that he doesn't figure out anything for himself they nearly always come from dreams like instead of having these things like the Daedalus situation things that we've had in the past like the whole Zoe and Hercules thing have him figure out have him figure it out himself like have him use his actual brain like don't just give him the information it's got to feel earned in some way but so far, none of the information he ever learns has ever actually been earned. He's just given it. And it just feels really cheap and just kind of... It downplays, in a sense, Percy's significance and his role as a hero. Because it's just pure luck. Like, nothing that he's doing is actually out of his own skill. I think that's disappointing because Percy is intelligent. We just don't get the, enough opportunities to have that shown to us. So I'd rather he learned the information that he gets in his dreams himself. Like he found a way, like there was a way for him to determine all of this information. 
and just have the info be given to him. Uh, but it's a common occurrence, so <laughs> you probably guys, you guys are probably going to hear me talk about this a few times, especially in the Battle of the Labyrinth, because I think this was, this book has the worst case of just giving the information and and honestly spoiling spoiling the story in some areas as well which is really frustrating but i will finish here though because um i could go on about that for a while um before i do the this week's question of the episode because yes i have remembered that um i firstly kind of do want to go into something that was talked about last week so you guys will remember that I went on a little bit of a rant uh, at the end of last week's episode where, uh, um, well, there are things that are not going particularly well for Percy Jackson fans and the Percy Jackson podcasters have been treated quite poorly and Percy Jackson fan creators have been treated quite poorly and Rick and even the Rick Riordan imprints writers have been treated quite poorly by Percy Jackson fans and, um, the people who are doing that you guys freaking suck um but i had some fantastic people stop by actually via email to to message and make me feel better as well and it made me feel seen and people yeah it was just really nice um i'm not going to read the whole things out because some of them there, there was one email i got from a joseph um talking about american schools because obviously that's something that i talked about last week um actually no i will slightly dive into that because it's quite interesting um uh, they basically just explained to me how uh, American schools um, work and how big they are. And honestly, like, you, you guys' schools are wild. So I was talking about how, obviously, music rooms are crazy. Um, so <laughs> America, So this is basically what it says here. American schools are massive, massive typically two to 3,000 students at each public school in metro areas, such as New York. From my experience, this is pretty much a nightmare as a student student-teacher ratio is usually about 30 to 1. Admittedly, the moment I read the thousands, I was like, I'm pretty sure we didn't even have a thousand at my secondary school. Like, maybe we did, but, like, I don't think we had that many. <laughs> um, even middle and high school usually has three to four large music rooms. This was crazy. We had a single music room. Um, but this is three to four large music rooms for wind instruments, string instrument, choir, and instrument storage. Yeah, no, we had one. <laughs> uh, just some things. Oh, uh, just some of the things about American schools. I personally thought American schools were pretty similar. Did you attend a more rural or urban-based school? That is a good question. Um, I guess urban. I th- my my school is kind of like it's in a town that sort of like is close to a city. Um, but even the school, like I went to, I went, actually no, I did both. I went to rural and urban based schools and neither of them were that big. Like both schools had maybe max a thousand students each aging from age 11 to 18. Um, and then college, which was probably had a little less was 17 to, well, 17 plus, um, cause some people had, were like older students as well. Um, and then uh, Joseph came in with uh, the lovely bit that I'm going to mention with another email that I got. Although to bring up the music schools, yeah, we had we had a single music classroom that had like guitars. We had like musical instruments. We did actually have a big area where we did like music performances until 
uh, high school, uh, well, they used to be called head teachers, but he was obsessed with American culture, ironically, um, forced everyone to call him principal. Um, and um, he cancelled all musical theatre performances. Um, we no longer had musical musicals or theatre performances at the school once he arrived because um, he's not, not a good dude. Like, who cancels theatre performances? Like, really? <laughs> anyway, um, j- just moving on. Uh, from Joseph, this was something that um, was uh, put near the end and I really do appreciate it. Regarding the hate you've received, I don't understand some people. You've been creating great content that is humorous and informative. And even if I disagree with some of your opinions, you do justify them with logical arguments. I'm glad to hear that because sometimes I feel like I just just go off on a tangent and I'm not even sure if I back up my points. And also you were talking about a fantasy series in the end, which I can hardly see being worth controversy. Continue making great content. I'll always be here to listen. I really do appreciate that. So, Joseph, if you are listening, which I assume you are from that, and um, <laughs> I do appreciate uh, your stopping by with the interesting info to do with American schools, which are huge and it's kind of terrifying, um, but also to show your support. I do appreciate that. And I hope anyone who is listening as well ha- supports the Percy Jackson content creators. So that's all the Percy Jackson podcasters, all Percy Jackson YouTubers, TikTokers, Rick himself, obviously. Like, okay, yes, he has done some not great things. There have been moments where he has made mistakes. But to expect someone to be a hundred percent perfect and to res- firstly to respond to every single critique, which is honestly what a lot of people seem to be doing, is that if he didn't respond to one thing, he then got mass spammed. He got mass tagged to get him to respond to. If he responded to one thing. And he didn't respond to another. People then mass spam and mass tag to get him to respond to the other thing. You can't respond to every single critique. It is not possible. And yes, the post that he put up on the biggest critiques to do with Piper and Samira, they, it wasn't a good idea and it wasn't a great decision to do so. I half got where it was coming from, but and honestly, I think it was more just an instant gut reaction, which is never... A good thing to go off of once you are being and this was around the time that he was being mass spammed and mass tagged by people demanding responses and honestly some of the things that i've seen him and becky were being sent death threats apparently people were contacting found a way to contact his kids as well supposedly sending mass harassment to his kids also like it's not okay and he he didn't respond in the best way. I completely admit that. And honestly, it wasn't the best way to respond in general. But taking into the context, if you're being mass spammed and people are... Not a huge majority, but they are the louder ones. If people are mass harassing you... Like, literally, even now, I've I've gone on a blocking spree of people who quote tweet his tweets to specifically call him ugly or to call him white trash or and stuff like that and I'm like this is why he is no longer involved with his social media firstly because yes he reacted badly with those posts because he was being defensive because of the way in which many people were treating him via social media but 
to continue to do it. To, the, the fact that other people are quote tweeting both him and Becky, calling them terrible people and all these sort of things. It's just grow the hell up, like seriously, and doing the same with fan creators as well. The fantastic guys Samuel and Diego over at the Half Blood Report. They did an interview with Rick recently, and some people, some people in the comment section, you are flipping disgusting talking about children that way. And honestly, you should be ashamed of yourself if you're ever listening to this, because you're a despicable human being. I'm going to go into another rant again. Sorry, I'll move on to the email. (laughs) So this is uh, from DJ, and this is DJ responding. Um... Hi Fran, I just listened to your latest episode and heard your rant on the hate you and other PGO creators have been receiving re- recently. I know that seems that only people with hate or complaints seem to be vocal, so I thought I'd send this to let you know how much joy your podcast brings me. And honestly, this did make me a bit teary-eyed, I will admit. I work as a courier, which means I get hours a day to listen to podcasts while I work. I can honestly say that the Best Stand Camp is one of the main reasons I get excited to go to work on Thursday. I'm in Australia, so it comes out overnight on Wednesday. Your work has given me a chance to look at my favourite book series with a new perspective and a critical eye, and you've helped me appreciate the better parts of the series while acknowledging the problematic parts of it. Nobody deserves death threats, and I'm so sorry that you've received these messages full of hate and vitriol from such a vocal minority. You seem like such a pleasant person and I love hearing your opinions, even if I don't agree with some of them. You really brighten my week every week and a lot of people, including myself, appreciate all of the free content you provide. Yours with adoration, DJ. And to to both DJ and Joseph who sent these messages and to the people who, who I'm in Discord servers with and just basically everyone who has been responding to all these things that I've been talking about. I re- I see you guys and I really do appreciate you coming to the support of my and all the Percy Jackson creators. Um, it is just an unfortunate thing and I'm, I I do apologise that I have gone on rants a few times about it and let these episodes be a bit longer than they normally should be. But I, I do just want you to know that I do appreciate and I see you and I hear you and um, I'm trying not to let these things get to me um and as you can see from today when i went on a mini rant uh just now it doesn't always work but um i'm i'm trying my best to make sure it doesn't but uh i think the thing is yeah i need to not pay attention to the hateful people but at the same time us as a community if we do see hateful people we need to either block them or find a way to make sure that they aren't involved in the the fandom in some way either by ignoring or blocking them there there's no there's always going to be hateful people in a community it's it's just unfortunately the way life is but we as a community need to take responsibility for it and not ignore the realities which is something that i have experienced in that i will tell people the experience i've had and just have that response of or at least we're not as bad as some communities. No, we need to take responsibility for it and we need to be aware of it. Um, so I do appreciate people taking the time to come and speak with me and letting them know that they hear where I'm coming from and they're sorry and that they appreciate my content and me. So that was really lovely to receive. So to those who did send messages, 
I really do appreciate you. But I will now finish up here because I do this all the time now. <laughs> I end with like a long rant or something at the end of everything. But let's, yes, thank you for joining me today for the continuation of the Battle of the Labyrinth. Be sure to join me next Wednesday, hopefully, as we continue our Wildenverse journey. To plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Deezer. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find the Best Damn Camp on various social media, our Best Damn Camp pod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Tumblr at thebestdamncamp.tumblr.com. If you want to email me with your own thoughts, or kind words in some cases as well, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com, and I'll read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at A Healthy Dose of Fran, or... I realise I didn't plug this, I am now officially a published author. So if you want to support my writing future, you can check me out on Patreon at Francesca McMahon. Uh, be sure to check out my YouTube channel at Healthy Joseph Fran also for more or extra Percy Jackson content and drop me a follow at a dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter. And I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. Love you.